Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this Wednesday, 4th of July, we will be celebrating, as a country, our independence, our 231st birthday as a country. And, and among the beliefs that our country was founded on, and the framers of our Constitution and the writers of the Declaration of Independence believed in what they called inalienable rights, okay? Hopefully you remember these from fifth grade, okay, history, okay? What were the three rights? Do you remember? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if there's any one of those three that we as a country have given ourselves to in the extreme is the pursuit of happiness, we may not do the other two very well, but we do pursue happiness. I mean, we, we pursue happiness with a passion. And there's some great benefits that we as individuals and that our country has, has enjoyed because of that. We have a very, very high standard of living overall in our country. We have innovation. We have technological advances. We have health advances. Um, just all kinds of benefits. We have a variety of diversions. We can do just about anything we want to do. We can pursue uh, any kind of entertainment, uh, sports, recreation, whatever you want to do. It's a lot of good things that have come out of our pursuit of happiness. But it's taken its toll as well. Because in our pursuit of happiness, we have also some of the highest stress levels in the world. And our lives are filled with anxiety and depression And it's taken a toll on our health. It's taken a toll on our families. It's taken a toll on the pace of our lives. Which really kind of leads to the question, for all of our pursuit, are we really happy? Or as popularly the question is asked, are we having fun yet? (laughs) Or are we missing out on something? Is there something much deeper than just happiness? God says, yeah. There are some things that he wants in to, work in our, in, to work in our lives that are far more important than just our happiness. Talks about him in Galatians chapter 5. And we started the series last week looking at what is called the fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, he says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So we started this last week looking at the fruit of the Spirit, the things that God wants to grow in our lives. And and kind of carrying through that agricultural metaphor, if you will, uh, he talks about this as being there are parts that are part and there are parts that are God's part. Like every farmer, there's work to be done on the farm, but there's also things that you've got to depend on that you have no control over. And God will do His work. That's what we're told. The fruit of the Spirit will grow in our lives. But there are things that we can do to help cultivate that. And what I want to look at together with you this morning is two more of this, these aspects of this fruit, joy and peace, because I think they're very, very closely related. So how do you cultivate joy and peace in your life? That's what we're going to look at together this morning. And one of the first things you got to do is let your roots sink deeply in God's love. Set down your roots in His love. Jesus put it this way. 
Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. In other words, work on the tree. (laughs) Where do you work on the tree? This all happens from the inside out. So it starts at its source, at its root system. And one of the things that we learn in, 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 in Scripture is that peace and joy are the results. They are the things that come and grow out of love. So to make the tree good, work at the root level. And to develop the root is to sink it deeply in the love of Christ. I truly believe that we don't fully experience joy and peace in this life like we could simply because we don't fully grasp the love of God. And I think if you want to experience joy and peace in your life, it is absolutely essential that you get a better handle and a better understanding of God's love. Throughout Scripture, it is filled. We are taught about it. We are modeled it by example. Um, New Testament, Old Testament, throughout the whole Scripture is an expression of God's love. And His love is always expressed in these terms of, of, of joy and of peace. They have to do with with an inner contentment about our life. And the better that we understand that, the better that we will get a grasp on these things for our own lives. That our God expresses His love to us in joy and in peace. That's why the writer of the the Ephesian church, Paul, wrote this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I pray, if if anything else, that you would understand this, that you would be so rooted in this, that you would experience this on a daily basis, how deep and wide and long and high God's love is filled with joy. You notice that if you look through Scripture? There are times when God, it it talks about God being um, saddened and grieved by our behavior. There are times it talks about him being angry with our behavior. But his default position is joy. <laughs> he rejoices over you. In fact, the very well, very not very well-known passage of Scripture from a very minor prophet called Zephaniah. He wrote these words, Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is living among you. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Have you ever thought about that? That God sings songs about you? (laughs) I mean, we gather together in our worship times. We sing songs about God. We sing songs to God. But scripture tells us God sings songs about us. As he looks at our lives, he kind of makes up a song. He rejoices over your life. He rejoices over my life. He is a God of joy. Holidays got their origin in God. Celebration got its origin in God. When he put forth the law, one of the things that he put in his instructions to his people was every once in a while, on a regular basis, you're going to just celebrate. You're going to take a holiday. And it wasn't just one day. It was like a week-long celebration, all of these things. There were huge feasts. Everybody stopped everything that we're doing. Not some of the stores closed down. They all closed down. And the whole nation was to celebrate together. Why? Because our God is a God of joy. And I think sometimes we're we're so solemn in our approach to God. I had a friend who came, um, who was a believer, came from a Jewish background. And and he he came to our church services and and we would celebrate. We call it celebrating communion. And he said to me one time, he said, 
I don't understand. We celebrate communion, but we're so solemn. He says, you know, in my home, Jewish home, celebrating the Passover Seder, man, it was a party. And his communion is supposed to be the extension of that in the Christian life. And we're so somber about it. Now, I'm not suggesting here this morning that we jump up and down and sing, you know, and dance and all that while we take communion. But there should be an element of joy in our worship because our God is a God of joy. It is throughout Scripture, all the way back to the beginning in His creation. What did God do as He created? At each part of His creation, He stepped back and He went, that's good. He created something the next day and He went, that's good. And on and on through the creation story, everything He created, He stepped back and He went, that's good. In other words, He took delight in what He had done. And He got to the end, He said, now that's very good. He's a God of joy and a God of celebration. John Ortberg underscores this. Going back to the creation story, he says, what if God approached his work of creation the same way that we tend to approach our work? It might read something like this. In the beginning, it was 9 o'clock, so God had to go to work. (laughs) He filled out a requisition to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies, but thought, that sounded like too much work. And besides, thought God, that's not my job. So he decided to knock it off early, call it a day, and he looked at what he had done and he said, it'll have to do. On the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land. And he made the dry land flat, plain, and functional. And behold, the whole earth looked like Idaho. He thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it wouldn't be worth the effort. God looked at what he had done that day and he said, it'll have to do. And God made a pigeon to fly in the air and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep upon dry ground. And God thought about making millions of other species of all sizes, shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any other animals. In fact, he wasn't too crazy about the cat. Besides, it was almost time for the late show, so God looked at what he had done, and God said, it'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burned out. So he breathed a big sigh of relief and said, thank me, it's Friday. (laughs) That is not how the creation story reads. All of Scripture is filled with celebration. And the life that God has for us in his love is one of great joy. And filled with celebration. And his love not only brings joy, it brings peace. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. It is rooted in his nature. It is rooted in his love. And if we're going to experience these kinds of things in our own lives, we need to root ourselves in him. And root ourselves in his love. God loves you. God takes delight in you. And God has brought you his peace through Christ. He has planted those seeds already in your heart. And they are taking root. But, like any gardener knows, there's some other work to be done. There are weeds to be pulled. And that's the second thing that you can do. Is weed Self-interest out of your life. There is nothing that will destroy peace and joy faster than selfishness. 
needing to root it out at every level and in every form. Self-interest is a thing that drives, drives me into this pursuit for pleasure and for happiness. It's so I can feel good, so I can like myself more. And pleasure and happiness are poor substitutes for joy. Jesus talked about this idea of his seed being sown. He told a parable about it, about a man who went out to sow seed. And as he did, and he scattered the seed, it fell on all different types of terrain. Some on hard path where it couldn't take root at all. Some in stony ground where it took root for a little while and then couldn't get any deeper, so it died out. And some that was sown among thorns and weeds. And he talks about that in, in, uh, James, excuse me, in Luke chapter 8. He says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. In other words, our pursuit of happiness can choke the life out of our life. The average American, it has been estimated, sees over 1,500 ads per day. 1,500 ads per day. Now, some of it said that's quite exaggerated, and, and a more conservative figure would be somewhere around the neighborhood of 650 ads per day. However many you want to call it, it's a lot of advertising. We are bombarded on a daily basis, and every one of these ads are promising us joy. They are promising us friendship. They are promising us love. They are promising us security and peace and all of those kinds of things. They go under a different brand name. The brand names are BMW, <laughs> Sony, L'Oreal, <laughs> Scope. <laughs> See, all of these things are promised to, to, to make our lives happier, to make people love us more. And so that's really what we are pursuing. But they are poor substitutes for the joy that Christ wants to give us. And they, in fact, choke the life out of us. And so there's some weeds that need to be pulled. And that's our work. Now, I don't know about you, but I have made a discovery. Weeds grow a lot easier than vegetables. <laughs> have you noticed that? It takes no work at all to grow a harvest of weeds. They just kind of do it all by themselves. Planting vegetables, growing an orchard or a vineyard, that takes work. And here's the other thing I discovered. You can pull weeds and they will come back. In fact, you pull them and pull them every year and they come back. They're right, they come right back. You pull vegetable up, it doesn't grow back. In other words, weeds come naturally. So that it takes work to pull them out. And that is our job. We need to weed out self-interest and selfishness in every way that it shows itself. Because the pursuit of happiness is what drives this pace in our life. It tells us we have to have more. It has to be newer. It has to be bigger. It has to be better. And it gives us pleasure and happiness for a while. Just this week, Apple came out with the iPhone. Greatest advance in technology to date. And, and believe me, I am an Apple fan, if you don't know that already, okay? But there were people lining up. It didn't, it didn't go on sale until Friday afternoon. There were people lining up on Wednesday to be the first in line to be able to get this iPhone. Now, they said they were going to be plentifully, plentifully available, that the stores were going to be staying open till midnight that night, so anybody who wanted an iPhone was going to get an iPhone. You know, there were plenty around. 
You didn't have to line up on Wednesday night to do this. Why do people line up on Wednesday night and stay there all day Thursday and all day Friday so they can get the iPhone? It's not so that they can get the iPhone. It's so that they can be the first to get the iPhone. See, that's the point. To be the first. It's a competition. No one's going to watch out for me. I got to watch out for myself. If I want what I want, I'm going to have to get up there and work for it and fight for it. And there is this drive in us all to be the best, to get the newest, to have the latest, bigger and better is always the best. And it satisfies for a while. And I watched it on TV. As the first buyer of the iPhone came out of the store, everybody was applauding him. Yay, yay, he bought an iPhone. Woohoo! And I, I, I can bet you in a couple of weeks, it's going to get lost somewhere. <laughs> Where was it? I, I, I was around here. Because it only gives pleasure for a moment. And that's the trouble. You pursue happiness. It only lasts as long as you are happy. And something else comes along. And you've got to have that to make you happy. Or you lose that and now you're not happy. And what Christ has come to bring us is something far deeper than happiness. He has come to bring us life and love and joy and peace. The problem with our pursuit of happiness is we start loving things and using people when just the opposite should be happening. We should be loving people and using things. James wrote, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Notice there's a, there's a battle going on on two fronts. There's all of this striving, all this quarreling, all this fighting between you and other people. You know where it comes from? It comes from the war that's going on inside of you. This constant drive to have to have more and bigger and better. The problem isn't those other people. The problem is what's going on inside of you. He goes on, he says, wherever there is selfish ambition... You will find disorder and evil of every kind. Those who are peacemakers, on the other hand, he said, will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Got to weed out selfishness. Weed out pride. Weed out self-interest. And we got to be honest about this stuff in our own lives. Because if we don't identify the weeds, we will never pull them. And there are times that we need to step back and say, you know what is driving my life? What is motivating me? And if it's selfish ambition, it's just another weed that needs to be pulled. And the last thing would be to flood your life with God's grace. I told you last week about my experience with my my uncle who had a peach farm um, in the Central Valley. And I would go and visit him and and spend a week there every once in a while, a couple of summers. And uh, one of the things that they did, and they did it in the very evening. Now, this was before, you know, they had you know, drip irrigation and all that kind of stuff. What they would do, in essence, would flood the field. And when they would irrigate, that's how they irrigated. They'd you know, they'd just channel and open up the valves, and, and they would just flood the fields. I mean, they would, it, was, it was cool when you were a kid. Man, you just run out and splash through the fields. It was a great time. They would flood you know, about a foot of water and just let it soak down deep into the soil. And one of the things you need to do to experience this joy and peace in your life is flood your life with His grace. Irrigate it. Psalm 1, 
Verses 2 and 3 says, The man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. See, joy and peace are not sentiments. They are not states of mind. They are lifestyles. The Hebrew word for peace, for, for, uh, peace is shalom. It has with it the idea of the wholeness of life, about being in right relationship with God and with other people. It's not just an absence of conflict. It is something far deeper than that. The word, the Greek word, the New Testament word for joy is closely related to grace. And it has to do with, with a resilience and, and a hope and a confidence and a trust that God is in control and I can trust Him with my life regardless. It's what the prophet Habakkuk spoke about when he said, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Even though all the circumstances are against me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Karl Barth, the theologian, puts it this way. It is the divine nevertheless. Life is pretty sucky right now. Things are going wrong and I got this, you know, empty cupboard. You know, things are just not going the way that I had hoped. Nevertheless, I will rejoice in God. There is this resiliency to that. There is a deep confidence and trust that no matter what my circumstances might be, I'm in God's hands. And there's no better place to be than that. And I can take great joy in the fact that He is caring for me better than I can care for myself. Both of these words are so closely related to God's grace. They are both other-directed. They are not things I store in myself. I don't go about this just so that I can live a joyful life or that so I can feel peace of mind. He gives us these things so they would be passed on to others. He gives me His joy so that I can bring joy to the world around me. Sometimes I think Christians in the workplace are the most miserable people of all. They're the downers. Can't have any fun. Everything's got to be prim and proper, looking down on other people because of what they might do. You ought to be the seed of rejoicing and joy in your workplace. People will look at you and say, man, he's happy. How does he, how can he be so happy with everything going on around him like that? How can she, how could she have that kind of joy when, when, you know, when the job is really stinking right now? We are to be bringers of joy. We are to be bringers of peace. It is up to us to be peacemakers. It is up to us to bring joy bringers. And joy comes from the satisfaction of knowing I'm in God's hands. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. God is the giver of every good gift. And if there's anybody that ought to understand it, it ought to be those who call themselves His followers. And Paul wrote, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So here's some very practical things you can do. Learn and practice contentment. A very, very simple thing. And it's to remind yourself on a regular basis. God has given me everything I need. 
And everything I need, he has given, is enough. To just remind myself on a regular basis, I've been given enough. More than enough. And instead of complaining about what I don't have, be grateful for what I do have. There really is something to this idea of counting your blessings. There really is. And to understand that you are in God's hands and there's no better place to be. Another very practical thing you can do is be a peacemaker. Practice forgiveness. Letting go. Not holding on. In fact, this is so important that Jesus said, if you come to temple and you are offering your gift at, your alt- at the altar and while in the middle of offering your gift at the altar, you remember that somebody has something against you, he says, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go make peace with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. In other words, if things are not right between you and other people, it's going to be a really hard to have things right between you and God. Be a peacemaker. Be a joy bringer. Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's our call. That's what he has instructed us to do. Not just to simply enjoy his, his peace and his joy, but to bring it to a world that is hungry for that kind of fruit. Mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. As far as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.